Hello, and welcome back to the Inquisitor podcast with me, Marcus Kauke. Today, I'm genuinely delighted to have Wendy van Gilst as my guest. She is a client solutions manager at LinkedIn. So we're actually going to get some inside track as to why your profiles are awful, stop spamming people, and uh, why building a personal brand, which is Wendy's particular passion, is so critical in this day and age. Wendy, welcome. Well, thank you. I'm really happy to be here and excited for this this conversation we're going to have. <laughs> be careful what you wish for. You might just <laughs> get it. Um, excellent. Um, so, Wendy, let, let's start with 60 seconds on your background. Yeah, so my background is on digital marketing, particular on advertising. So I work as a client solutions manager at LinkedIn, where I help companies to advertise on the platform to achieve their marketing objectives. That's what I do as a full-time job. But besides that, I'm very passionate about personal branding. And that goes back years and years where I started myself in business development, uh, doing cold calls without any success. And at that time, I realized there is something out there that can help me. And that is me, my personal brand. And, and that made my job so much easier and so much more fun. So something I'm really passionate about, but my background is definitely in digital marketing. So advertising and personal branding. Okay, so we're going to cover all of these topics in the course of today's conversation. Uh, let's start with the big elephant in the room, which is the personal brand. What is the per, uh, someone's personal brand and how do you develop a good one? <laughs> well, we all have a personal brand, whether you like it or not. When somebody Googles you, you will show up in, in some shape or form. Your Facebook profile will show up, your Instagram, your LinkedIn Anything you already have will show up, and that is today your personal brand. What matters most is what do you do with it? Do you take care of it, or do you want to show people something that doesn't add any value because it's 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 not really reflecting of who you are? So we all have a personal brand already, and I think in today's world where we all work from home, it's even more important to realize that while we're having this conversation, I can check you on LinkedIn. Normally, we would have a face-to-face -face meeting and it would be very rude to look at my phone while we're having a conversation. But if we're both looking at the screen, it's quite easy to check you out on LinkedIn and see who you are and what you're doing. So in today's world, personal branding is even more important and what you show on your profiles is even more important than ever. Okay, so LinkedIn has a framework which I've studiously ignored um, in terms of how I put my profile together. And it's certainly paid very big dividends. You know, we're generating uh, anywhere between half a million, three quarters of a million pounds a year, mostly through LinkedIn. But what I don't do is I don't use LinkedIn as a bad replacement for an awful CV, which we all know is a work of fiction anyway. I make a point of making every section of my profile uh, try to enter my customer's world or my prospect's world, speak to them, be relevant. Um, what advice would you give uh, to people when they're putting their profile together? Um, well, first of all, I agree with you. Don't make it a resume. Because if recruiters are looking for your resume, they will ask for it. Uh, and when it comes down to personal branding, we often talk about finding new clients, finding new relationships, establishing relationships. It has nothing to do with your resume. So what would be my advice? I think a lot of you have already had a lot of advice, but my most important tip is be personal. So be really personal to the people that are visiting your profile so they can really get to know you. If I take my own profile as an example, I'm a client solutions manager. Some people don't even know what that is. So it's nice that the title is there, but what does it mean? In my summary, I explain that I'm very passionate about working at LinkedIn and that I'm passionate about digital marketing. So I'm being personal and I explain why I do things. And I think when you're being personal, that's the point where people really start to connect with you. Because there's so many people out there. Why would people connect with you? What makes you different from all the other people? And the only answer there is your story, your personal story. Not what you do at work, because there's a lot of other people doing that as well. But the reasons why you do it and why you're so passionate about the things you do or the company you work for or the things you want to establish in life. So my main tip would be you can follow the, the, the frame, as you said, the framework that LinkedIn offers you to make sure that your profile is complete and it's nice and it's good that it's there. But make sure that you add that personal touch. 
to make it personal for people and they get to know you. I'm going to use uh, your advice. And uh, as I look through your profile, one thing that leapt out at me, which I would love to explore a little bit further, is that you're a business listener. What exactly did that entail? Because I, I have a fundamental view that you talk your way out of sales and you listen your way into them. But tell me a little bit about that role. I think you're mentioning my experience at Oracle, right? So Oracle at that time was working on a social listening strategy to understand what people were saying about businesses. So what are the conversations that people have about businesses? For example, if you're a bank and a lot of people complain about the fact that they can't get any money out, then there's an issue with that bank. If you can grab those conversations and you can help the bank to fix that problem, then you're basically doing business listening because you listen to the conversations that are happening around the bank. And Oracle was trying to understand what type of conversations are going out and going on there, out in the open, on social, and what can we leverage and do with those conversations to help our clients to solve those problems, to be more successful, to improve their customer experience. So it was literally listening to conversations. So literally being a business listener was listening to the conversations about businesses. Well, you see technologies like Sprinkler, Soundboard, you see companies like Authentics popping up and they really are focused on paying really close attention to what the market and the industry are saying, what customers are saying, what they like, what they dislike, their frustrations and so on. Now, in terms of building your personal brand, how crucial is it that you do your research around the people who you want to attract when you're creating your profile? Really important. If you use your personal brand to find new customers, you need to know what's on their agenda to be relevant because there's a hundred other people reaching out to those people as well. If you're looking for a job at a specific company, you need to understand what the company tries to achieve with their employees, what their goals are, what they're looking for in talent. Similar to when you try to build a network with like-minded people, you need to know what they care about. So it's extremely important. And I think it's even more important to bring it one step back. What do you want to achieve? So why do you want to be in contact with those people? And if you know very well why you want to why you want to find those customers? Why do you want to help them? The better you understand why you want to connect with them, the easier it is to optimize your profile towards what will be interesting for them. And by understanding what they need, you need to understand what they care about. So you need to, to do a lot of research and, and understand their pain points and challenges and, and passion and, and everything. So aside from your profile, what else contributes to your personal brand in a space like LinkedIn? The content you share. So uh, you can have a beautiful profile, but if you're not active on LinkedIn, and with active, I mean sharing content, interacting with people, connecting with people, then nobody will see your profile or only a small group, let me say it that way. I mean, people will search, of course, for specific titles and your profile can show up. But most of the traffic to your profile will happen because of interactions you have on LinkedIn. So content you share and conversations you have and maybe groups that you have visited. So, Wendy, tell me this. In terms of finding the balance between sharing other people's content, curating and creating your own, what sort of balance should one look for? To me, that's not an ideal balance. I cannot say it's 50-50 or 75-25. It's all about quality. So if you're able to write one post per month and it's of really high quality and extremely relevant and the rest of the month you share content that is from other people, then that's absolutely fine. If you're like yourself, Marcus, and you're great at creating content and you can be spot on every time and you can do that three times per day, for example, then that is the perfect number for you. But I believe in quality over quantity. So it really depends on how much time do you have? How much effort do you want to take? And um, how much do you want to put into it? That said, I believe it's extremely important to create your own content, of course, because that brings me back to the, the part where we talked about being personal. When you share other people's content, it's nice, especially when you add something personal. You say, I share this article because I completely agree or I disagree or 
you know, you, you, you add something personal to it. That's nice and that's good. But when people really get to know you is when you start to share your own content, where you start to share your own opinion, your own experience. So you create your own video, your own blog post, your own podcast. That's where the real value comes in. I just think that it's important to understand that you don't have to do that three times per day. If you do that once per week, you're doing an amazing job in building a very strong relationship with your network. So that then brings me to a number of the value-added services that are on LinkedIn. So I'd like to take them one by one. First of all, LinkedIn Live. Not everybody can get onto that. What's the advantage in terms of building your personal brand with LinkedIn Live? LinkedIn Live is a great opportunity to, again, be really personal. And I think it's, it's almost being naked, to be really honest. I mean, people see everything, every breath you take, every move you make. There's no cutting. There's no editing. It's very raw. It's in the moment. It's happening right now. I mean, there's a recording, of course, but when people are watching live, it's live. So again, when it comes down to being personal, that's where people really, really get to know you. It's like you're stepping into their their living rooms, you're stepping into their offices and and really start to connect with people. They can ask you questions via the chat. So it's great. And you said it's it's not available for everybody. You can apply for it. Everybody can apply for LinkedIn Live. LinkedIn wants to make sure that people use LinkedIn for the right reasons, LinkedIn Live. So it will never be available for everybody. That said, it will be available for everybody who has something valuable to share and has a plan behind it. So everybody who wants to use it and is passionate about the topic they want to talk about and they have a plan, they will get access because that's what the platform is for. We just want to be really careful it's not being used by people who have other ideas and, and, and plans with it. But again, it's I love it. I mean, it's you cannot be more personal LinkedIn than by going live and showing who you are. As I said, almost naked. I tripped off today for my first time on LinkedIn, <laughs> and not metaphorically. So I did my first LinkedIn Live. And um, I used a tool called StreamYard. For those of you who are technically completely useless, this is absolutely cretin proof. I've had LinkedIn Live access for about 40 days. And I thought I'd better get in because you only have a 60-day window to do your first one. And um, really very simple. And if you go to the subscription, the paid subscription service, you can have virtual backgrounds and other bits and pieces as well. There are other platforms that you can use that LinkedIn have partnered with. Okay, what about LinkedIn events? What, what's that all about? Because I'm completely new to that. Yeah, so LinkedIn events gives people or companies the opportunity to literally organize an event on LinkedIn. So you can explain to people what is going to happen. So let's say you're organizing a webinar. You can invite people to the webinar, and then there's two options. You can have an open event, so everybody can attend without any permission. So once you see the event showing up in your timeline, for example, because the company is promoting it, you can click on attend. And if it's an open event, after clicking on attend, you're being part of the event. There's also the option to, of course, have a selection. So when people click on the event, they need to get an approval from the person who's managing the event. But what happens then is, once you're part of the event, you come into the event environment, so to say. And within the environment, there's two options. There can be the link to the place where you're hosting the webinar. So that can be outside of LinkedIn, for example, on Zoom or GoToWebinar or all the other tools we're using today. But it's also possible to do a live stream in the event environment. And when you do a live stream in events, it's only available available for people who are part of the event. So when you're a company and you're setting up a private event, so a private event as in people need to um, be accepted to the event, and you're then going to live stream something that is confidential or you don't want people outside of the event to see it, it's only available for those for that small group of people that is part of your event. And there's also a timeline in LinkedIn events. So there is an option to share content in the event environment as well. Oh, how exciting. I've just had a thought. I think I might start running a recruitment process through an event. So you can do live interviews, role plays, and then filter people through the day and then give them access to uh, the briefing if they've made it through to the next stage. Would that work? 
Mm, I'm thinking, to be really honest, I've only used it so far for companies or for individuals, for example, like yourself who want to do a specific webinar or something. I don't know. What I do know is that it's a relatively new product. So we're constantly rolling out new features. So if something is not available today, it could be tomorrow, so to say. But yeah, one thing is for sure, you could then invite only a small group of people to that event, but doing an interview one-to-one, I would say. I think I'm looking at doing like an assessment day. So we break off into groups to solve a problem and Uh you brief them and then they have to present their solution back. I think that might be a really nice way of accelerating the process because you don't have to have people come in for interviews and things. Okay, what about Sales Navigator? Because I think there's a lot of confusion about whether people should have a business subscription on the main LinkedIn site versus having a Sales Navigator subscription. And certainly, if you have a strong active presence on Sales Navigator, that can more positively affect your social selling index which I'd like to come to in a second. What are the major advantages of going with paid-for subscription on the main LinkedIn site versus having a paid-for subscription on Sales Navigator, or indeed both? Let me make one thing clear. Maybe I miss one of the features that I'm going to call out right now, because both products are not my main focus. So I'm not 100% expert. I do know how they work, of course, and what the benefits are. But Don't shoot me if I'm missing out on something and you're listening and you are an expert. The main difference is with with a paid um, subscription, you get access to a couple of features like in-mails. You can see third-degree connections. So it basically gives you a couple more features than you have on a free profile. And those features should be enough to find, for example, your dream job or to grow your personal brand and, and to be a better professional. So it is a really nice way to bring your LinkedIn activities to the next level, literally by investing into LinkedIn and buying yourself some extra features. Where Sales Navigator is a complete solution. It's helping salespeople. It's it's called Sales Navigator, so it's mainly focused on salespeople. And it's helping salespeople to find new prospects and customers, to build and maintain relationships by saving people's profiles and companies as leads and accounts. And by doing that, you stay on top of everything that happens around your prospects, your customers, and the companies that you follow without connecting with them. So you're being better prepared when you pick up the phone because you see that your prospect had just posted an article about a specific topic. So you know it's on top of their agenda. Or you're being better prepared when you see that the company has been mentioned on the news because they just acquired another company. So you know what's going on and you're better prepared. But the main difference is that a premium membership is is bringing you to a next level of using LinkedIn. And Sales Navigator is helping sales professionals to do their jobs better. I think that is the main difference. And what about social selling index? Because what I have noticed is as my social selling index rose above 70, 75, 80, the volume of inbound inquiries certainly increased. Um, I'm not sure whether I can correlate it to any particular trigger point, but is there genuinely any value in working on developing your social selling index? I love this question because I I think it's really interesting. I once got, multiple times, I got the question when I was sharing the fact that premium LinkedIn members will or already have access to an away message, so a sort of of out-of-the-office message when a connection is sending you a message and you're on holidays or you're taking a break or whatever, you're not going to respond in a couple of hours. Your connections are going to get an auto-reply saying, hey, I'm out of the office, I'll reply next Monday, which I think is brilliant, especially to maintain the relationship. Otherwise, the other people is, is, is waiting for you. Somebody said to me, Okay, but can I also pass the impact on my SSI score? Because when I go on holidays, my SSI score is going to drop. And I was like, oh my God. We're talking here about managing your relationships and the fact that you can tell somebody you're already connected to, hey, I'm on holiday, so you need to wait a couple of days managing expectations. And instead of being happy that you can maintain your relationship and, and send out a message without putting any effort in, 
you're thinking about your SSI score. That's just the number. We're talking here relationship versus a number. So I'm not a big fan of measuring everything with the SSI score. I do believe that the SSI score is a great way to find out what you need to improve when it comes down to social selling and personal branding. Because it breaks it down by four pillars. And if you see that you're missing out on one pillar, you know you need to put in some more effort. And altogether, all those pillars bring you towards a good way of doing personal branding. But I'm not a big fan of saying, okay, I, I need to have at least an SSI score of 90 or 99, or why is it dropping two points or going up three points? I don't really care, to be honest. I care more about, like you said, getting inbound leads, finding new people, making connections, getting something out of your activities versus having a number that is extremely high. Because it's all, it's moving away, it's moving people away from what really matters. So, Wendy, technology used well can massively enhance the experience. Technology used poorly generally alienates people and damages your brand, your reputation. And I see so many people clearly using automation tools that the messages are generic, they're not well thought through, and they clearly are simply a way of spamming your network. What advice would you give to those people who are using automation tools? And the first message is, I'd like to connect. And the next message is a long and painful pitch about product that may or may not be relevant. Yeah, stop doing that from today. Yeah. <laughs> Get this rid of it. Here on this one, please elaborate. Yeah. So first of all, you should never send an invite. Hey, please connect. Start by making that one, that first connection request already personal. But it's like, I think we, we, we talked about this before, Marcus, but it's like kissing somebody after saying, hi, this is my name. And then you kiss them on the mouth and you're like, what are you doing? We don't even know each other. What's happening here? It's very rude. It's always the wrong moment, the wrong time. And it, it's just completely wrong. So I think if you really want to get something out of connecting with somebody you're interested in, so let's say a prospect or a potential customer, First, give something before you take. And with taking, I mean setting up a phone call to pitch your product. That's definitely taking. So before you can take something big like that, make sure you give enough. And how do you give? By, first of all, being personal in the invite. Why do you want to connect? And not because you want to sell a product, but you're interested in similar industries or topics, or you saw on their profile you went to the same school, or you have a, a, a common connection, or... You know, there can be several reasons why you want to connect without talking about your products. From the moment you're connected, that's where you start to give. So you're going to give a lot of value by sharing interesting content and maybe sending a message with a note saying, hey, I found this article. Maybe it's interesting for you as well. So you first need to build some uh, credibility. And then, like going on a date, when you get to know the person and you feel the moment is right because you both know each other, you like mm -hmm. each other, there is a connection, that's where you start to ask for something. That's where you start to ask for a phone call or, or something. And I think it all sounds like a lot of work and people are like, you know, if I just send out 20 of those messages and one person replies, hey, great job, I have a phone call scheduled. But what is the value of that phone call? Because there's not even a relationship. There's no context. It's just a, ver it's a cold call. It's just a scheduled cold call, but that's it. Instead of putting a bit more effort into people you really want to connect with, so prospects that are very high on your list, that are prepared when they pick up the phone. The conversation is already 10 times on a higher level than it was when you were doing those cold calls. And it will accelerate much faster as well because there's already the trust and the relationship that you normally are looking for when you work with your prospects. So I would say smaller group, more focus, more attention, and eventually better results. This is mirrored in any general form of selling that it's better to have fewer attempts of higher quality where you engage with people and you're relevant, you're timely, you're contextually appropriate. And stop with this pilot high, sell them cheap, bombard everybody approach, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's email, whether it's telephone calls. I notice on LinkedIn, on the telephone app, you're able to leave video messages, but you're not 
on the desktop app. Is there a particular reason why that feature hasn't moved into the desktop? Mm, To be honest, I don't know. Okay, fair enough. In terms of creating personal connection, how effective are you finding the video function on LinkedIn for for messaging? I think it's effective for a specific generation. So for the generation who likes to do video, and we're all moving towards that because we're, we're more used to using video than we, we were before the whole COVID situation. But I think it's, it's interesting for a selected group of people who like to do the video messaging. There's also a group of people who like to do voice messaging and there's people who still like to type. And I think the fact that it's all available, you can choose whatever works for you. Uh, I was in contact with somebody who was sending me voice messages and I was typing back and it worked perfectly because we were both using the way of communication that we preferred ourselves. And it was quite easy. And and I was completely fine with receiving voice messages. I just found it a bit awkward to record one myself. But hey, that's personal. So I think it's it's good that we have all the options. And I think there's a generation that is younger than, than you and me that is very, very loving video calls. And there's a generation that is older than us that hates video calls. And we're sitting somewhere in between. I think the age gap between you and I is massive. (laughs) 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 I I, I would generally fit into the category that hates uh, the video, uh, I would have thought. But thank you for that. Must be all the water. Um, (laughs) So let, let me ask you this then. I know that you spend your life helping clients around advertising. Now, I have to be honest. I think in the nine, 10, 14 years, I think that I've been. Uh, on LinkedIn. I think I've only ever clicked on two ads and one was by accident. So if you look at Facebook and Google, the number of ads that people deliver or are served up that are just ignored is terrifying. What advice would you give to people if they're considering using LinkedIn as a pay-per-click medium for advertising? What do they need to do to prepare so that they are when they are serving adverts up to their target market, then they do get engagement. It's not a matter of just putting something out there and wait until somebody clicks on it, because that's not going to happen. And it still happens quite a lot that companies or people are advertising an ad and they're waiting for leads to come in and nothing happens and they feel like something is broken. No, that's not the case. When you do advertising rights on LinkedIn, it's extremely valuable but you need to have a strategy behind it. And that comes down to, first of all, understanding who's my target audience. So the great feature on LinkedIn is that you can set a target audience based on a lot of filters and features. So you can build an audience that fits exactly what you try to achieve. And then, besides of that, you need to have a whole strategy as in, if you start to advertise and nobody knows you, why are they going to click on your ad? They're not going to. If, if, if an ad shows in my timeline of a company I don't know with messaging that I don't care about, I'm not going to click. I do click on ads of companies that I know, that I trust, and that I have an interest in for whatever reason. So that means if you start to advertise on LinkedIn and not a lot of people know your company, you need to do some branding first so people get to know you. And branding, I mean, you need to find a way that you're catching their attention because there's so much content out there. There needs to be something that is finger-stopping, as we call it. So, for example, a really funny video or an, a really interesting article that doesn't talk about you as a company or the product you sell, but is really building that trust with the people that you eventually want to make your customers or clients. From the moment you start to see that your branding is starting to take off, because people start to follow your page. People are clicking through to your website, so you see traffic coming in. And there's a lot of LinkedIn features, of course, as well, around retargeting and measuring results. You can start to move towards the next phase of that strategy. And that's where you start to go into a bit more specific content about the challenges that the industry might have the people you try to reach or the companies you try to reach. What type of challenges do they have? What's on their agenda? You start to inform them. So you start to become a trusted advisor. You're not gating anything. You're still giving before you can take. So you're giving them 
information so they start to trust you and they start to get an interest like this company is interesting you know they do funny content they inform me about things that are relevant to me and from that time that's where people are more likely to more learn more about you especially when you do your targeting right and you know that they're in a buying journey so they're interested in finding a solution so again there's possibilities to do retargeting and to measure success but then at some point, you move on to the next stage, and that's where you can start to gate content. And with gating content, I mean, for example, you're going to promote a, an ebook or white paper, and you're going to ask an email address and a name. Because people start to know you and start to trust the company, they're more willing to leave some details. Be really careful that you're not asking for too much. So if you can, let me say it differently, if somebody wants to download an ebook, they don't need your phone number. If I download an ebook, you don't need my phone number to give me that ebook. That is pretty weird when you think about that. Often companies ask for a phone number because they count an ebook download as a lead, and then a salesperson can call the person who downloaded the ebook. But it's weird when you think of it. If somebody downloads an ebook, they're not saying, I want to receive a phone call to talk about the ebook. They just want to read the ebook. So you need to make sure that. You show people, and we say on, on average around 10 pieces of content before you're offering the option to have a conversation. So you really need to give people time to consume content, to see it. And, and that makes sense when you think of the fact that a lot of B2B companies have a buying journey of more than six months. So it would be impressive if you can have set up a phone call after one content download and have then an in-depth conversation about solutions that you're selling it doesn't make sense people need to do their homework first there's a lot of people in companies doing research to influence and inform the decision making units and there's a lot of time involved and a lot of information needed before people are ready to have a conversation with a company and on the other hand because there's so much available online people don't need to to have phone calls right away with the company to uh, to get to know or to learn more about the companies they can find that online so you really have to wait for that right moment to set up a phone call so when companies say linkedin doesn't work for me it's often because they're expecting results too fast it's a long journey you need to build trust you need to show them the right content and then uh, as I said, after around 10 touch points, not only on LinkedIn, I mean, people are online on, across all channels. So I'm not saying it should only happen on LinkedIn, but you need to be aware that people are in, in several stages of the buying journey. Knowing you or not knowing you makes a massive difference in wanting to have a phone call with you or not. I think you touched on something really important here, which is you need to be patient. Social selling is like a flirt down the pub. And like Wendy said, you don't just go up and snog someone on first contact, not unless you want to uh, punch them in the mouth. And the fact that they are going along this buying journey is really important. You need to understand that the journey begins well before you speak to them for, or touch them for the first time with any of your marketing or content. And it happens long after you've made that initial sale. And I think one of the really powerful things that uh, I've seen LinkedIn use for, and I've trained my clients to do, is to use it to map out the buying committees and the different stakeholders, the influencers, the recommenders, the specifiers, the users, the technical buyers, the financial buyers. Understanding the dynamics of those relationships between the individuals, the different departments. And if you're smart, you'll use LinkedIn in order to map out a, an ideal prospect weeks or months before you actually pick up the phone to them so that you're creating engagement, you're creating familiarity, and you're building relationships with people through LinkedIn. You might hop onto a Zoom call with each individual in order to find out more about them at a human level. Then, and only then, do you start approaching them about a sales call. Do your research. One of the things that I've been teaching my clients to do, and it's working remarkably well, is speak to customers. Find out who the people are within your existing customer base that you haven't yet had contact with. Speak to them. Find out what it's like to be them, what their jobs entail. 
how they might be using your products or services in spite of the fact that you've not sold directly to them and they weren't on that buying committee. You know, like Wendy's previous job at Oracle, you know, be a business listener and get their story. Because once you've got their story, first of all, that allows you to use it as a springboard to speak to other parts of that organization, but also to look at people just like them and use those customer uh, hero stories in order to initiate a conversation with prospects in other companies that are similar to them. Fair? Yeah. I completely agree. And I think what happens quite often is when you set up those sales calls too early, you're actually messing up your opportunity when you do that. Because if that's the wrong moment and the person you're reaching out to is not ready, then that's not going to be a second chance. I mean, there's not going to be a moment where you're, you get a second chance to set up the same call again, because then it's already the second one you try to set up. And I think another point you mentioned, which is extremely important, is the decision-making unit is so much bigger than the one prospect that you try to reach. Because there's so many people influencing that person. There's so many people being involved in making a decision and actually signing off on a contract and buying your solution. And if you're only in contact with one person in a company and your competitor is in contact with 10, who's going to win the pitch internally? That's another really very relevant point. If you're targeting somebody on LinkedIn, look at those people to whom they are already connected. Look at the groups that they're in. Because if I'm at HP and I'm trying to sell to somebody, but they are a huge fan of, I don't know, Brother or Kyocera or somebody else, then chances are I need to get many people on side if I'm going to displace them. The other thing that you can do is use the social media uh, world in order to do a little bit of social stalking. So go on to their Facebook page, see who they go on holiday with. Because if they, you know, if they're at the wedding of the HP rep, you know, chances are they have a close working relationship, and you've got to work very hard. Or in fact, it may not be worth your while even pursuing that opportunity. Find out which groups they are in. And I'd like to explore groups as well, because I think these are poorly uh, understood and not very well used by many people. What's the value of groups and how do you use them especially effectively? Yeah, I think it's, a, it's, it's still a tricky one for a lot of people. It's a group of like-minded people and that makes it so valuable. But as a salesperson, you want to be really careful in joining a group without being really prepared. Because again, if it's a group of like-minded people who have an interest in a specific topic and, and are passionate about a specific topic, they're looking for conversations about that topic. They're not looking for vendors to sell a product. They're looking for ways to learn and to educate themselves. So if you join a group and you want to eventually get prospects out of it, I would sit there, listen, share your own experience and opinion without mentioning any of the products you're selling and use everything you hear throughout, as you said, the whole journey and understanding who your prospect is and what they care about. I would not use the group itself to, to reach out or to, to get anything out of it. it for, to me, it would be a source of information, to be really honest, and not a way of, of connecting and, and selling your product. Absolutely not. Um, I, I was working with a hospitality group a couple of years back, and um, they have hotels all over the country, uh, but one city that they're in is York. And um, what we know uh, in terms of York's history is it goes back to pre-Roman days, Rome, you've got the Vikings, you've got the Middle Ages, you've got the Industrial Revolution, you've got modern York, you've got the history of chocolate. York is the first place in the UK that chocolate came into the country because it used to be a port. And it's also the second most haunted city outside of London. Now, what we did was we targeted, we did searches on LinkedIn using the search function, and we identified ghost walks. And we found that there were 10,500 people who were involved in ghost walk groups. There were 5,500 people who were particularly uh, involved in chocolate. 
And what this allowed them to do is create content that was of interest to those groups and uh, drum up business. Golf, racing. Now, there are six race courses within a 20-mile radius of York. So if they wanted to drum up business within the racing com- horse racing community, the groups were a fabulous way of doing this. And so few people really think about their prospecting activity because most salespeople, their idea of prospecting is just get a list and hammer the phones or inflict themselves on people's uh, inboxes on their email. And it, it just strikes me that you need to be really creative when you're using platforms like LinkedIn. And you also have to be respectful of other people's time, but be aware of their interests. Very often, the groups that they're in will give you an indication of where their interests lie. And you can start creating a human-to-human connection. Stop seeing people on LinkedIn as a mark or an organic ATM machine, because I think no one appreciates you trying to put your hand in their pocket to try and dip their wallet. Um, Okay, so tell me this then. What's the future hold, do you reckon, around social selling and personal branding? Really curious to get your thoughts in terms of where you think the market and the technology is moving. Well, I think it's going to be even more important than ever. I mean, I live in the Netherlands and the the numbers of of infections is still going up and up and up. And and we all know we're going to work from home for the coming months and months and maybe forever. I mean, not 100%, but one thing is for sure, we're going to have less face-to-face meetings and more online. And that has an impact. The relationships you have with your clients, it has an impact on the relationship you have with your colleagues. It has an impact on the relationship you have with your managers, with everybody above your manager. So it has an impact on getting a promotion. It has an impact on finding a new job. It has an impact on everything that we as professionals care about. And the only way to help ourselves and to, I mean, we can never replace the face-to-face connection. We can stay on top of people's minds. And the only way to do that is by having a strong personal brand. If if you work in a large company like I do myself, it's easy to drown when you work from home. If, if you're just doing your job and people see you every now and then in the Zoom meeting and then you go back to your work and, and, and weeks are passing by and nobody's really noticing you versus somebody who's very visible, who's active, who's sharing a lot of knowledge, who's adding value, who's going to get the promotion once the moment is there? And the same with your clients. If you're not being visible for them and they don't hear very often from you because that's the way you work, they're going to forget about you. And there's an open door for competitors and other people who are visible. So I think for every professional today, tomorrow, in the coming weeks, months, and years, having a strong personal presence is so important to be successful, to get promotions, to get your dream job, just because you need to stand out now even more than ever. I think you're absolutely right. And that whole piece around familiarity has a marked effect on whether people get promoted. Because if you're not front of mind, then chances are you're going to be second, third, fourth, 12th, 25th. And as a result, it's really important that you maintain a presence. Don't overdo it. Don't try too hard because no one likes someone who's needy and desperate. But be relevant and Focus on the quality, not the quantity. This is one of the things that's really, really frustrating when your feed is just filled with corporate drivel. And I'd like to explore that for a second. Most of us have subscribed to some form of corporate email marketing. And the question that always goes through my mind is how much of that do you actually look forward to? I can say with hand on heart, there are three that I absolutely look forward to. There are some others that I'm interested in and I won't delete immediately. But the rest, it's a 20-minute-a-day you know, task for me to empty my uh, email box. When I'm looking through my feeds, I'm often muting conversations because they're just dull and they don't bring any value. I don't think they'll bring value to me But what I'm more concerned about is I don't think they'll bring value to anybody looking at my profile and following my feed. So I think what's really important here is to be timely, to be relevant, to be contextually appropriate, and to be human. 
do not just pump out more of the corporate marketing drivel that's about your company or your product. Make your customer the hero. Tell stories about how your customers have managed to solve their businesses' problems. Name them, name check them, tag them. I think one of the interesting functions, which again, I, I have mixed feelings about it, but it's the kudos function where you can give kudos and recognize somebody. But when someone has done a fabulous job, I'm very happy to do that. I'm always a little bit reluctant because it, it does feel a little bit more Facebook than LinkedIn. But actually, if someone's done a fabulous job, catch them at it. Help them get the recognition that they deserve. You know, they may get a promotion if enough people tap into that as well. So tell me this. I mean, I, I think the way, I think one of the biggest growth areas in tech will be collaboration platforms that enhance and replace the old way of doing business. And I see LinkedIn potentially as being one of those platforms. Um, I'm really curious in terms of those live events, uh, the meetings, for example, through LinkedIn, if that's something that's coming down the pipe where you can bring in different assets, you can bring in different teams, team players. Can you see that happening? I don't know if that's on the roadmap, um, but there's, there's much more on the roadmap than I know. <laughs> Let me make that clear. But I do know that LinkedIn is constantly looking at what's happening and, and what is what is it that our members need to use the platform in the best way. So LinkedIn events and LinkedIn Live is, is the perfect example of something that was rolled out extremely fast because of the whole COVID situation and companies had to stop doing face-to-face events and move to online. So I think it's, it, it's, it's a matter of looking at the market and seeing what is needed. But to answer your question with a yes or no, I don't know. I really don't know. It would be the perfect place to do so, but I cannot make any promises or because I don't know. That's what I thought. I, I just figured LinkedIn to be able to exploit that because Zoom, it, it, Zoom is fabulous and you know Teams and all of these. Um, but they are a little bit flat and unidimensional. Whereas uh, if we have a place where we can share assets, ideas, whiteboards, concepts, maps, and utilize the full range of technology in order to create better collaboration, even in a sale, that's certainly something I'm exploring this year, looking for a platform that can do that. So, okay, what about other services that are available on LinkedIn? Because there's Linda, I think it is, the education platform, Insights, Talent Solutions. How else can we use LinkedIn to uh, our advantage? Yeah, so you mentioned Linda, which is now called LinkedIn Learning. It's a learning platform where you can uh, subscribe to. And once you're subscribed, you have access to a lot of online courses. Some of them you get a diploma or a certificate, other not, depending on the course and who's who's doing it. And there's also the possibility for companies to buy licenses and then put on their own content for their own employees. So it's then only available for their own employees, of course. Uh, but LinkedIn is taking really good care of the quality. So it's not a platform where everybody can start to set up courses. It's really a selected group of uh, people who are allowed and who create those courses. But it's a great way to upskill yourself. So if you're already working for years and years and things are changing in your industry or your job function and you're missing out on a particular skill, it's a great place to go to watch a couple of videos, learn more about the skill, apply it to your job, and then boom, there you are. You're, you skilled yourself up on that specific skill or that specific part that you weren't aware of or you didn't know. I also know that it's something, for example, that's, that schools and universities use when something new comes up and they don't have a, a teacher yet for that particular topic or it's too small and they're missing out on that, just that particular part of information. They use LinkedIn Learning just for their students to follow a specific course. And then they know if they all follow the course, they are aware and they understand how it works and what it means and how they can apply it to the rest of the study. So it's um, it's used in all different um, in all different ways. And I can only speak for the Netherlands because I don't know what it's like in the other countries, but 
In the Netherlands, for example, there's now 10 courses that are available for free for the most wanted jobs. So, for example, there's a lot of companies looking for digital marketers. So there's a course now available for people who want to get more digital marketing skills. They can follow it for free, and that helps them both companies and, and people to bring them together and, and help companies to, to fill those open gaps that they have and help the people in the market to find their own jobs. Pretty sure it's the same in the UK, but again, I'm not 100% sure, so I don't want to say anything that is not there. But. You will be in lockdown on and off probably for the next 18 to 24 months. Don't expect to be going back uh, full-time to the way things were and like Wendy said, it's unlikely that you will anyway. But if you're not using this opportunity to use LinkedIn, to build your network, to build your personal brand, to develop yourself, you are missing out on a massive opportunity. You have time. And the, the other thing that's really important is these, uh, the training that's available on LinkedIn and uh, you know, other platforms is often delivered in small bite-sized chunks. So you can develop yourself really quickly and really effectively, because let's face it, the jobs market is going to be really tough. Over the next five years, chances are, on the basis of prediction, we're looking at a five-year depression. If you thought 2010 was bad, okay, the next five years, uh, I mean, the UK is down 20% in terms of GDP this year. Now, in the worst point of the 2010 recession, we dropped 3%. Okay, so there, there will be difficult times ahead. It is incumbent on you and nobody else to develop yourself. Do not wait for your company to invest in you. Use platforms like LinkedIn, get onto YouTube, reach out. And this is something that's worked really well for a lot of my younger clients. What I've suggested to them is they identify people whose history represents their future. So if you want to get into sales and you want to get into sales management and leadership, identify a dozen or so uh, top sales leaders and then ask them to be your mentor. Ask them with a message that goes along the lines of, Wendy, I'm asking you a huge favor and please feel free to say no. You're an expert in personal branding and LinkedIn. And I would appreciate it if you could spend 20 minutes a month with me. And I promise you, I will never waste your time. I will always come prepared and I will take your advice and implement it. And then I will come back and report back what I learned. Would you be open to being my mentor? And almost without exception, people have said yes. It's almost impossible to say no to a question like that, right? Absolutely. And if they do say yes, thank them and move on to someone else. The future, this, people in the uh, future, uh, their success will be determined by their willingness and ability to collaborate. I look at the fate of the road warrior salesperson whose special superpower has been taken away from them because they can't go and drink coffee in, in someone else's office. Well, you better get good at social selling. You better get good at selling over new technologies uh, and video uh, platforms like Zoom or 8x8. You better get better at doing your research and being relevant. LinkedIn represents a fabulous opportunity to connect with people from all over the planet uh, in all walks of life. And there are hundreds of millions, if not billions of people on LinkedIn. And they represent a massive knowledge base one of the best, in fact, the best question I've learned to ask is not why or how or when or what, but who. If you want to know something, get onto LinkedIn, do a search and find out who is an expert in that field. This podcast was born out of that. Um, I wanted to speak to the best in the world and I wanted to learn from them. I've managed to get 200 hours of content by the time of this recording which represents the best part of 4,000 years' experience. And that's been available at my fingertips. Most of it has been, in fact, all of it has been generated primarily through LinkedIn and the referrals that I got through LinkedIn. So getting access to that wealth of knowledge is incredible. Wendy, we've hit the top of the hour. Tell me something. What are you struggling with? What are you wrestling with at the moment? 
So I knew you were going to ask this question. So I, I come prepared. <laughs> uh, what, what do I struggle with? I think I struggle with something that is something a lot of people struggle with. And um, people will, will be surprised maybe that I say it, but it's it's really making time to do all those activities. So I have a, a young daughter. I have a full-time job. I'm very passionate about creating content and, and being active on LinkedIn and connecting with people. But I also know that if I don't put it in my calendar and I don't plan it, it's easy to skip it. It's easy to say, oh, you know what? I don't have time today. I do it tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes and then a hundred other things come up. And again, I can move it away. And and I think the fact that I'm saying it, understanding how important it is and, and that it's such an important part of my job and, and something I'm passionate about, I can imagine it's even more difficult for people who are not that passionate or maybe not that used to it as I am right now. But it's something I still struggle with. And sometimes for months it's going really well and then something happens in your life or you're very tired or your baby doesn't want to sleep and you only had three hours of sleep and you're like, if I get my job done, that's already a massive achievement. You know, all those elements play part in it. And it's a constant struggle. And and on the other hand, it's 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 so much fun. And doing something like this, like we're doing right now, is giving me so much energy and so I can only say just do it, but I know that sometimes you need to kick yourself and just tell yourself, come on, you do have the time to do this. Then you skip Netflix or anything else, you just do it. But yeah. It's a very common problem and one that can be overcome by understanding the difference between pay time and non-pay time activity. And if you're going to produce content, do it in no pay time. Don't do it during the golden hours when you're meant to be doing your day-to-day job. Make sure that you have a balance. And when you're building your calendar, start with family and personal life. Build everything from there. So the first thing you put in is your family and personal commitments. Then you put administration, because God knows we all hate it. Put 10 to 15 minutes a day in for admin. Then put study, because that will be the next thing that you will sacrifice. So I would always urge people to put in a minimum of one hour of study a day. If you think about that, okay, that means that you're effectively doing a university course every five to seven years in terms of equivalent. And I've been fortunate enough to fall into that habit very early. So from about the age of 21, 22. And there hasn't been a day gone by where I haven't done between one and six hours of study. Now, it pays off in the long term. It's not something that pays off today, but it pays off tomorrow, the day after, years from now, 5, 10, 15 years down the road. And I'm still applying lessons I learned 30 years ago from that process. Then you build your calendar around all those other activities and commitments that you have to uh, fulfill. But make sure you do put the time in for building your personal brand, because that is an investment that goes with you from job to job, company to company. And it's incredibly potent. I'm in the fortunate position, and I haven't forgotten what it's like to be a salesperson who still has to prospect and dial for dollars. But I'm now in the fortunate position where I don't. Business comes to me, and I can go to my network, and I can ask the right uh, questions and pick up business. But you need to earn the right to get there. And it starts today, and it will pay off if you do a little and often consistently. The key is do little and often over time and mean it. Okay, if you had a golden ticket and you could whisper in your 23-year-old idiot self's ear, what would you whisper into Wendy's ear? And it doesn't have to be about regret. No, it's not about regret. It would be a tip. I've been creating content in every shape and form since I was maybe 20 or so. I was always dreaming about having my own blog and, you know, something creative and creating content. I just wish that I didn't stop it from time to time. You know, I started with with specific projects. I was having blogs. I was writing for websites, for for, for all kinds of things. And I wish I had all linked that to one personal brand. So it, it was one complete journey instead of all separate parts. So if I would do it differently or I would give myself advice, if I was still 23, I would say, 
understand that everything you do right now is so valuable in the coming years and years and years if you can all link it together into one journey and make sure you keep it so you don't throw it away or you lose it or I mean when it's online you don't throw it away but you can lose it and make sure that it's still visible for people because your whole journey makes who you are and it is again your personal journey and that makes you as a personal brand stronger so that would be my advice Everything you do matters, even if you think it doesn't today. On that note, it's not possible to download your posts, is it? You can On only LinkedIn. download that. No. no. Um, so my, my bit of advice would be, if you're posting and you produce a good post, make sure you take a copy of it. Because I produce, I don't know, maybe around 1,000 a year. And it's only just struck me as I'm changing role. That what I wanted to do was download those posts and I can't. So unless I'm willing to go back and be exceptionally patient, which I'm not. So make sure that you store those. You can download your articles and I've got 400 or so of those. So I can repurpose those later, but you can't with the, uh, with the front homepage posts. So make sure that you keep a copy of those. Uh, just cut and paste them and save them in a swipe file. Okay. If you were going to recommend some books that you believe could really help people develop their personal brand or have uh, helped you along the way, what would be two or three books that you'd recommend to people? Books, blogs, podcasts, videos? I had a thought of this, and my answer is, is not a number of books or a number of blogs. My answer is what helps me is my LinkedIn timeline. So I manage my timeline very carefully with the people that I follow and I'm connected with. And that's the people I learn from. And not only the real experts, but also when people are posting something, I find it really interesting to see what happens. Why do they get a lot of traction? Why do a lot of people comment on it? What's the behavior of the person who was posting it? How do they reply to it? How do they engage with people? If you're going to look at those types of things, for example, if one of your colleagues who has a similar size network and similar objectives is posting something and it goes viral, find out why. What did they post? How did they reply to it? Who are the people that, that reacted to it? Are those all customers or is it only colleagues? So I learn a lot from looking at my feed and understanding what works and doesn't work. Besides, of, of course, the content that I see from the people who are posting. So that is one thing. And I think another thing that I learn a lot from is by trying it yourself. So for example, recording a podcast, I wanted to have a podcast. And the fact that I wanted it and I started to do it, I learned so much about how do you record a podcast? What is the technical part of it? What makes a podcast a good podcast? So that is more the way I like to learn. So I thought instead of sharing books and names and, and titles of blogs, I wanted to give people a different perspective of how you can learn as well by doing it. It's interesting. What I've noticed is that the posts that I do that get the highest level of engagement almost never result in any business. Virtually all of my business through LinkedIn has come from what Al Tepper talks about as buzz, which is the subsurface anonymous or discreet communication where someone reads something I wrote or watches a video, listens to a podcast, and they've never engaged with me. And some of these people have told me that, um, that when they became clients, that they've been following my stuff for 10, 12, 16, 18 years. And then that something struck them and they felt compelled to get in touch. I just had a call 10 minutes before you and I spoke today, exactly that. The guy's uh, run a number of companies. He's exited a couple. And uh, we had a chat. And he said, I've been following your stuff for about two years. Never been in touch before. But something you wrote last week just caught my attention. So don't be overly concerned about the vanity metrics of likes, comments, and shares. Yes, it's lovely when you get 20 or 30,000 views on a post. But I can honestly say that's only ever happened once or twice. On average, you know, I get three to 5,000 views. I'm quite used to that level. But I look at other people, and they get hundreds of thousands of views. And I used to be jealous of it. But I'm not anymore, because what I actually care about is, uh, can they go to the bank with it? Uh, and the answer in many cases is no. 
And so I would much rather go to the bank than be famous. So, yeah. <laughs> Wendy, how can people get hold of you? They can connect with me on LinkedIn, of course. <laughs> yeah, always happy to connect with people who are, who are similar minded. And yeah, drop me a personalized invite. <laughs> if you don't, I'm going to send you a message why you didn't. <laughs> no, but yeah, I'm most active on LinkedIn. Uh, I also have a, a podcast that I uh, promote on LinkedIn as well. So if you're curious, you can search or for my full name or personal branding, the podcast, which is all around personal branding. I do in a very similar format like you're doing, Marcus, inviting experts that we can all learn from. I think it's another great way of learning. That said, speaking with people is another great way of learning. So add that to the list as well if you want to, to learn. Yeah, but uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn and listen to the podcast. I'm also on Instagram, but I'm not very active, so I wouldn't recommend you that one. But you're curious to hear to hear from people what they think and uh, if they want to get tips and tricks. I, I'm also happy to uh, to give people some tips on their profile if they want. Not everybody. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Wendy, thank you so much. You're welcome. It was a great pleasure being here. I really enjoyed it was not as tough as I thought it would be. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, I'm only look me. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, Wendy Van Hilst, thank you so much. This is Marcus Cappy signing off once again from the Inquisitor podcast. If you found this insightful, useful, helpful, then please do get in touch. My email is marcus at laughs-last.com. And if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, that would be great. If you think that you would be a good guest or you know someone who would be, then please let me know. Connect us via LinkedIn or via email. And in the meantime, like, comment, share, and subscribe. Stay safe and happy selling. Bye-bye.